Due to the nature of ongoing comics, the powers that be often look for ways to shake things up for their characters. For many reasons, these changes to the status quo tend to be ill-conceived and often gain a level of infamy among fans, leading them to not stick around for very long, which brings me to our subject today. It's time to talk about Rick Grayson. No, not Dick Grayson, the character you know as Robin and later Nightwing. Rick Grayson. This alter ego was taken on by the character in 2018 after a traumatic brain injury left him amnesiac and was widely panned by fans and critics alike. If you mention Rick even in casual circles, you met with groans and sighs at best. It's universally seen as one of the lowest points in modern comics, but was it actually that bad? Yes. <laughs> yes. A thousand percent yes, it was that bad. The better question is why? What was it about this era that made it so bad that it actively deserves the reputation? The answer is best found by starting from the beginning. In issue number 55 of Batman, written by Tom King in 2018, Dick Grayson is shot and critically injured by the KG Beast. King had intended for Dick's recovery to stay isolated to the pages of Batman, as so as not to interrupt the story in Benjamin Percy's Nightly. It made sense to keep the story separate, as Dick's injury was just one part of a larger Batman story and would allow Nightwing to continue without any feathers ruffled. Editorial had other ideas. King then pitched an idea where Dick would recover over several issues of Nightwing, and during that time, his younger brother Tim Drake would fill in under the title role. This probably would have been the best received idea. Tim and Dick's bond, an endearing fixture of the 90s and 2000s, had been de-emphasized greatly during the New 52 era, and hadn't really come back to prominence at this point. So Tim filling his big brother's shoes, the two bonding again, and Dick returning quickly to being Nightwing in a year of publication at longest, would have likely been a hit with fans. Editorial had other ideas. It's hard to pin down who in Editorial had these other ideas. Former DC editor-in-chief and then-publisher Dan DiDio had garnered a reputation for disliking legacy characters, with Dick Grayson being a particularly target. DiDio had previously pushed to have Dick die in the event Infinite Crisis all the way back in 2005, but had received pushback from staff resulting in his survival. Nevertheless, the reputation persisted, especially in the 2010s. Barbara Gordon's role as Oracle was done away with, her successors as Batgirl were disappeared, Wally West was replaced with his cousin of the same name, and the Teen Titans were confusingly reworked all under his watch, if not his directive, so it would be easy to pin the rejection of Tim joining Nightwing all on him, but his exact involvement is unclear. It's worth mentioning that around the same time, Tadeo was championing Generation 5, a new initiative that would have involved rebooting DC Comics with characters taking on different roles. A lot of events that occurred in the DC Universe in 2018 and 19 were setting the stage for it, and it's possible the decisions made here were in service of that. But since Generation 5 was scrapped when Tadeo exited the company in 2020, it's not known for sure. Another possibility as to why the Tim Angle was rejected is that Brian Michael Bendis, who had just come over to DC that same summer, was set to start writing a new edition of Young Justice in early 2019, featuring Tim reuniting with his old teammates. The two stories running that close together could have presented some issues logistically, or at the very least, been somewhat confusing. In any event, DC shot down King's proposal and instead went with the Amnesia Angle, which former writer Tim Seeley had mentioned editorial had tossed around in the past. Benjamin Percy then departed Nightwing after introducing a new status quo in issue 50 and passed the reins over to Scott Lobdell. Lobdell had risen to prominence after being up to the gargantuan task of taking over writing duties on X-Men after Chris Claremont's 15-year tenure with the title ended unceremoniously in 1991. However, by 2018, the goodwill he'd built in the 90s with fans was all but gone, largely due to both his reviled work on the new 52 titles Teen Titans and Red Hood and the Outlaws, as well as several accusations of sexual harassment. So, you know, not ideal. 
Lubdell stated in an interview that Editorial only wanted to do the Amnesia story briefly, with Dick returning to normal just four issues later, but he pushed forward to go long term, hoping to redefine the character. This makes a lot of sense, given Lubdell's history with attempting shocking changes to characters long term. For example, during his tenure with the X-Men, Lubdell co-created Generation X. One of the more popular characters in that book was 16-year-old Monet Sancroix, a super powerful, super rich mean girl who served as the rival of series lead Jubilee. Lobdell's plan for the character was for her to be revealed to, in fact, be a pair of eight-year-old twins who could fuse into one being, creating the Monet that readers had come to know and love. This went over like a fart in church, causing editorial to task a new writer with retconning that away. He would similarly reveal during his run on Teen Titans that Bart Allen, aka Kid Flash, was in fact an alien supercriminal from the future named Bar Tor, who had convinced himself that he was the Flash's descendant. I promise you that I'm not making that up. I mentioned earlier that Benjamin Percy establishes a new status quo in issue 50 of Nightwing, so let's get into exactly what that is. Four months after being shot, Dick, now going by the name Rick, is back in Bloodhaven with a job as a cab driver. He spends most of his days drinking at the bar Prodigal, his nights sleeping in either his cab or an unwitting stranger's home. His memory loss is so severe that he can't recall anything between his parents' death and the present, causing him to distance himself from the Bat family and reject any kind of help from them to instead spend time with Prodigal owner B. Bennett and the other patrons. In the closing pages of issue 50, Rick symbolically cuts ties with his past, setting fire to his headquarters, seemingly destroying all of his Nightwing gear along with it. Issue 51 opens to reveal how dumb of an idea that was. All of his gear was unharmed, and all he did in the process was draw the attention of Bloodhaven first responders. This introduces two of our new supporting cast, Detective Alphonse Sap Sapienza and Deputy Fire Chief Malcolm Hutch. Sap laments Nightwing's disappearance to a mannequin wearing his costume before telling Hutch and the other firefighters there's nothing down there. Hutch responds by telling Sap that if things get worse in the city and he can't handle it, he's got his back. Rick has more nightmares and Alfred shows up to buy him a drink and check on him, but Rick tells him he hopes his memory doesn't come back because being a blank slate means you get to write whatever you want on the board. This is also the last time these two characters ever see each other alive because Alfred is violently murdered by Bane in Batman number 77. Rick drives a few fares around and complains internally that the people who say they care about him only care about Dick Grayson and Nightwing. This is one of the biggest struggles I have with this era for the character. While it makes sense for Rick to feel strange about an entire life he can't remember, it feels equally odd that he's so hostile about the idea that the people who do remember miss him being part of their lives. Alfred and Barbara aren't asking him to put the tights back on, they just love him and want him to stop sleeping in a cab. To him, Dick Grayson might as well be a completely different person, but that isn't the case for everybody else and it's weird that he doesn't get that. It's a weird dichotomy that I don't feel like really works. He drives until 3 in the morning and winds up at a pawn shop staring at what he recognizes as a piece of his mother's jewelry and reminiscing on what he can recall before being interrupted by a very committed mugger. The muscle memory of his training kicks in and Rick handles the guy pretty easily. He realizes in this moment, though, that he's been putting up a front and might not be able to live the life he believes he wants. In the epilogue of this issue, we see a figure donning Nightwing's costume. Surprise, it's Sap. The grand idea that Lobdell had for redefining Nightwing was to have a cop takeover, seemingly to invert Grayson's past as a member of the Bloodhaven PD. It's an okay idea, I guess, but the thought that this was going to be as impactful to future stories to the same degree as something like Barbara Gordon becoming Oracle seems misplaced, especially with issue number 52's reveal that there isn't just one new Nightwing in town. Sap brings Hutch in on his new mission, alongside sibling detectives Zack and Colleen Edwards. 
I could not even begin to tell you much about the Edward siblings other than that they are siblings who are detectives. Zack mostly exists to get knocked around by whatever threat they deal with, and Colleen is mostly there to get upset when her brother gets smoked. I really wanted to recap this in the same way we usually do stuff here, but in doing so, I came to grips with the Lobdell portion of this run's biggest sin. It's boring. With the exception of B and Hutch, I can't really bring myself to care much about the new cast. Sap is a play on a trope that comics have done before, with Renee Montoya becoming the question, or Jim Gordon becoming Batman for a time. But those work because you already know who those people are and have some measure of investment in them. You have a reason to care about these characters and their new role. Sap, Hutch, and the Edwardses are all brand new characters who just suddenly thrust into the role of one of the most beloved superheroes in comics. And the only one of them who is actually interesting you don't learn anything about until after this first arc. Without the reason to actually invest in the characters, everything feels slow and plodding. And even co-writer Fabian Nicias' prose and Travis Moore's art can't save it from feeling like it drags on forever. Here's the quick version of events. Rick runs into Sap while looking for his friend Burl, who is dispatched to a bad part of town. Sap tries to stop him from helping, but can't, and they say Burl together. B lets Rick move into the bar so he can stop sleeping in random places, and the two start dating. Scarecrow has been posing in town as a psychiatrist and has been planning on using his new, more refined fear gas on the city to emancipate them. The Nightwings try to fight him, and some mind-controlled cops shoot Zack repeatedly, because he is here to do the job, brother. Rick sees this and feels super guilty about stepping away from being Nightwing, which you would think would push him towards reclaiming the role, but instead just leads him to putting on a black tee and some eyeliner and teaming up with the Nightwings to take down Scarecrow. When he asks if this makes him a team, Sap tells him no. In issue 57, Nicieza departs the book and Port of Earth creator Zach Kaplan tags in as a co-writer. It's worth mentioning that, that a lot of these issues are credited as plot by Lobdell and script by whoever's co-writing, meaning things like the layout of the book, the narration, the dialogue are all done by either Nicieza or Kaplan, and the fact that the most interesting parts of this book are when Rick is being introspective about who he is now, or when he and B are spending time together, is a pretty clear reflection of that. The overall story feels aimless. The four Nightwing setup is pretty much dead on arrival, but the moment-to-moment -moment stuff, like the way that Rick and B interact in these quiet moments, is great. It's part of what makes this so frustrating to reread. The parts of this that are interesting are being strangled by a plot that doesn't make sense and is incredibly difficult to even pretend to care about. He pushes back on being Nightwing again when the people who know and love him come calling, but agrees to kind of being Nightwing again when Sap, who he has met twice and knows nothing about, asks because he feels responsible for them being out there at all. Sap, supposedly a brilliant detective, doesn't put together that Rick used to be Nightwing and instead treats the name like it's his to dispense out once he decides Rick is ready despite him clearly being more ready than Zack is. The Nightwings putting on the mask to go outside the rules while still carrying their department-issued guns and badges and using what is very clearly police equipment to confront suspects that they just interrogated as detectives. It would be at least interesting if the point was that even the quote-unquote good Bloodhaven cops aren't great either morally or at their jobs, but it isn't and the whole book suffers because of how flat they all fall. As a reader, you're supposed to like these characters and empathize with the plot of a few honest cops in a city so corrupt it's best to assume that everyone is on the take from the mob. 
Except that doesn't really work when we never see these characters actually dealing with that corruption and the closest you do get to seeing it is when Colleen is investigating a serial killer and decides immediately after the suspect gives her nothing that instead of getting a warrant, the best option is to bust down his door in her Nightwing gear and threaten him into talking. The taking a stand against corruption angle doesn't fly when the characters immediately try to circumvent the rules when things don't go their way. It just makes them look corrupt, even if the suspect is so cartoonishly evil that he literally clicks his eels after turning detectives away. In any event, Lubdell's tenure comes to an abrupt end after issue 58. The plan was for Border Town writer Eric Esquivel to co-write that issue with him and then take the keys long term while Lubdell put his focus back on Red Hood. Except Esquivel was accused of abuse and sexual misconduct in December of 2018, leading to Kaplan staying on to finish it with Liddell and setting up Superman scribe Dan Jurgens to instead take over the title. By this point, the damage is really done. The Rick Grayson saga has gone on for eight months and doesn't have a clear, easy end in sight. Jurgens could just pivot hard in another direction and have Rick get his memories back straight away in issues 59 and 60, but that would have just been stapling the wound shut. In issue 59, Jurgens pretty much immediately tries to make sense of Rick not being allowed to be Nightwing by reframing it as his decision when Hutch offers it to him, which makes everything feel a lot less dumb. Speaking of Hutch, Jurgens also follows up on the most interesting hanging thread about the new Nightwings and explores why Hutch left the police academy. We're introduced to Sergeant Walter Stapleton, who lies comatose in a Bloodhaven hospital after an incident five years earlier that Hutch feels responsible for. Every year he visits Stapleton in the hospital to pay his respects on the anniversary of that incident, but this year, as he and Sap go to leave the hospital, they're confronted by Melissa Stapleton, the sergeant's daughter. She blames the department for what happened to her dad, and especially blames Hutch, saying that if her father hadn't been sent out with someone as experienced as Malcolm, he wouldn't be in a vegetative state now. As they go to leave, she tells him that she hopes the entire department burns in hell. Back at Prodigal, B gives Rick a new phone so they can stay in contact and she doesn't have to worry so much. I want to point out here that Rick is largely taking up most of his old personality again by this point. His lone drifter shtick is pretty much done, he's not passed out drunk half the time anymore, and he talks more and more like his old self. Where under Lobdell, he felt like a new, detached, weird character that happened to be named Richard Grayson. Under Jurgens, he feels like the Dick Grayson readers knew, with just without his actual memories of being a superhero. Where the early stories positioned him as a reluctant and running on instinct to help out in times of trouble, these issues make him more of an active participant. When he runs off at the sound of fire truck sirens and B asks why he thinks it's his job to help people, he says through the narration that his skills make it always his job. He meets up with Hutch who tells him that the fire is at a police precinct and he believes someone has been targeting cops. As they try to rescue the people at the station, they notice the fire is far too directed to be a simple arson and find that the fire is alive. To start issue 60, Sap joins in and the three face off with the living flame monster Burnback. They realize it can regenerate and Hutch hoses it down long enough for Rick and Sap to get everyone else out. Hutch and Sap make the logical assumption that Melissa Stapleton's burn in hell remark might have been more literal than they first thought and that she could somehow be connected to Burnback. Rick reunites with B and she voices her concern about Rick running off that she's worried that he thinks he's bulletproof. He explains he just can't sit still when people are in trouble and B tells him that makes him one of the good guys. Sap recounts the night of Sergeant Stapleton's injury and we find out that the call that he and a then still in training Hutch were on went sideways and Hutch saved him from dying on the spot when it did. Nevertheless, Hutch blamed himself for it even happening because he was so inexperienced and that guilt, worsened by Melissa blaming him, is what led to him dropping out of the academy. Sap sends Zack and Colleen to confront Melissa about his hunch, but they're interrupted by Burnback. When Melissa begs the creature not to hurt her, it extends a hand to her and says it wants to help. 
It's revealed that the comatose sergeant is actually a metahuman and Burnback was born from his subconscious reaching out and the rage he feels about his situation and the BPD policies that caused it. Zack manages to drive a car into a fire hydrant to douse the creature but flips the car in the process, hospitalizing himself again. As the hydrant extinguishes Burnback, Melissa says a tearful goodbye to her father, who tells her that she has to let him go. This four-issue story does so much to refocus the book and give a better idea of who Rick and the Nightwings all are. Hutch is the primary focus of the story, but through exploring his story, we get some interiority and characterization for Sap, who feels more in control and like an actual leader here. Zack and Colleen are still secondary, but feel a lot more like real characters and not just functions here. Zack especially feels less like a loser here to get shot, and more like a kind of person who willingly sacrifices for the good of others, and Colleen comes off very clever and quick, as opposed to how bullheaded she comes off in the first act. Under Lobdell, the Nightwings came off like they're on a power trip. They're bad at being cops and bad at being superheroes, which again would be interesting if that was the point. If Lobdell had been telling a story about vigilantism as a power fantasy and how it can all be a bad thing, how the presence of costumed heroes makes things worse, the characterization of the Nightwings would have scanned a lot neater. Instead, they come off like incompetent douchebags trying to circumvent the systems they've already been a part of to get results in that career, while you as the reader are supposed to think that they're cool. Under Jurgens, they feel a lot more even. While they're still explicitly using the Nightwing name as a workaround for the system, they seem like they actually have plans instead of constantly running off half-cocked and doing things that are going to get them caught. They seem a lot more like professionals doing a job and a lot less like they're playing dress-up. They do begin to take a backseat in the following issue, which finally sets the path for Rick regaining his memories by way of the Court of Owls. William Cobb, Rick's forever youthful great-grandfather, better known as Talon, returns to Bloodhaven during the tie-in for the company-wide event, Year of the Villain. He spies on him through issue 62 as Rick teams up with Hutch and finally tells B the truth about who he used to be. In issue 63, he isolates and attacks Zack, who Rick and the other Nightwings find full of knives and hanging from a skyscraper. While they rush him to the hospital, Cobb makes his way to Prodigal to kidnap B, revealing to her that he knows Rick's identity. When Rick arrives to rescue her, Talon tells him it's time to bring him into the fold. In the 2019 annual, Jurgens tees up the Owl's plot further in a story set just before the events of Nightwing 50. We finally get clued in on what exactly happened after the KGB shot Nightwing and introduced to Dr. Isabella Haas, a surgeon hired by Bruce Wayne to take care of Grayson after his injury. Haas tells Bruce that Dick's selective amnesia is unlike anything she's ever seen and suggests taking him home to Wayne Manor to see if that jogs his memory. It doesn't, but we get a flashback of the time that the Grayson spent Thanksgiving at a relative's home in Bloodhaven. Two important things happen in this flashback. First, we find out that John Grayson used to call his son Richie, which I have to imagine would have been received even worse than the name Rick was. And second, Judith, the relative hosting them, gives Dick a book called The Very Friendly Owl. Back at Wayne Manor, Bruce has the deeply stupid idea to jog his memory by arriving as Batman and showing Rick the security footage of himself being shot. I would like to point out that Damien does tell him that it's a deeply stupid idea, which is reinforced by Grayson running out of the manor in tears and pleading with Haas to take him back to the hospital. As he recounts the events of that Thanksgiving to Dr. Haas, Rick tells her that he wishes he had seen those relatives again and we see them having a meeting with the member of the Court of Owls, who tells them that it may take years, but they are positioned perfectly for the day that Richard Grayson is theirs. In the present, Haas advises Rick to head back to Bloodhaven instead of staying in Gotham and very suspiciously presents him with a new copy of The Very Friendly Owl, telling him she also had it as a child. After he leaves, Haas dons a Court of Owls mask and talks with another member who congratulates her on a job well done. Through a steady drug regimen and psychological manipulation, she's buried Dick's memories of the last 20 years and left him a fresh lump of clay to be molded into whatever the court wants him to be. 
In issue 65 and 66, Cobb puts a pair of goggles on Rick that download a new set of memories into his mind, overriding the truth so that he remembers Cobb as the one who took him in and trained him after the Flying Graysons died. With Rick successfully brainwashed into a new talent, Cobb immediately sicks him on the Nightwings, who've been out rescuing people from fires all night, leading into issue 67. The brainwashing doesn't really hold, as the Nightwings are rescued by the new character Condor Red, who manages to break the goggles, which in turn restores, at least partially, his original memories. Cobb arrives and the two fight on the cables above the bridge. Talon falls into the water, telling Rick that it isn't over, and Rick is saved by Hutch. In issue 69, Rick and B head to Gotham to talk to Dr. Haas, as now having both his original memories and the ones implanted by Cobb are conflicting, causing him debilitating headaches and overall making his life a living hell. In Haas' office, B discovers the owl mask and they realize that she's been the one controlling things. Rick travels to Switzerland to confront her and finds out that the necklace she's been wearing this whole time is actually an identity crystal, a magic jewel that allowed her to hypnotize him during their sessions without his knowledge. She tries it again, but when he resists, one of the court's goons initiates the self-destruct sequence, blowing the mountainside compound apart and sending the two of them into a river, where Haas is washed away, leaving Rick with the crystal. And you would think this is where the saga ends, and then issue 70 would be wrapping things up with Grayson getting his memories back, right? Right? Wrong. The Joker appears on the final page of issue 69, having been watching a news broadcast about the Nightwings before bashing his TV screen with a crowbar in disgust. You see, this has all gone on so long that the 2020 summer event Joker War is gearing up in the pages of Batman, beginning in earnest in issue 95. If you're keeping score at home, that is two years and 40 issues since Dick was shot by the KG Beast. The short version of events is that it's revealed that the Joker knows Batman's identity. He subsequently takes over Wayne Enterprises and uses their money to create chaos all over Gotham. During all this, he makes the time to head to Bloodhaven to stomp a mud hole in Sap's chest and walk it dry. He makes his way to the Prodigal and steals the identity crystal, using it to brainwash Rick himself, this time making him believe that Joker took him in after his parents' death. He also starts calling him Dicky Boy, which is extremely scuffed. When B wakes up, she immediately notices that something is off and goes to Gotham to find help from the family. She talks to Barbara, who finds him now working with the Joker's new associate slash girlfriend, Punchline. Barbara gets captured and in issue 73 now finds herself in a rooftop fight club with Dick. When she gets the upper hand, the Joker lets slip the punchline is gone to blow up a very close by children's hospital named after Alfred. Batgirl escapes to deal with it and Dick intercepts Tim and Jason en route to help, tricking them into believing that Barbara was actually the one brainwashed by the Joker before revealing it was actually him. While the three fight, Barbara goes after the Joker and takes the identity crystal back. She faces down with Dicky Boy again, but loses the crystal just in time for B to run in, grab it, and tell the truth. Grayson smashes it and finds the answers he's been looking for. Finally, 24 full issues later, Dick Grayson is back. Also, Tim defused the bomb. As the family celebrates Dick's return, B slips away, lamenting that she's always hated Gotham, and that she always will, now that it's taken the man that she loves away from her. Issue 75 is largely cleaning up loose ends, detailing the week after Dick got his memories back. He talks with his friends and family, who eventually convince him to go back to being Nightwing full-time. He meets up with Hutch and the other Nightwings, who he then convinces to stop being Nightwing, on account that they stink at it and keep getting their asses kicked when they face real supervillains. He heads back to the Prodigal to talk with me about what their future looks like, fully intending to stay with her, but that changes when the KGB attacks the bar and takes B hostage. Nightwing defeats him but realizes the danger that being with him poses for B and breaks up with her after saying he doesn't remember the feelings that he had for her. And that's really the end of it. In issue 78, Jurgens hands the reins over to Tom Taylor, starting one of the most celebrated runs on the book ever, but you can't really wash the taste of Rick Grayson out of your mouth. When all is said and done, what is there really left to say about it other than it sucked? 
Most of its issues can be laid solely at the feet of Scott Lobdell. It was his idea, by his own admission, to stretch in what editorial wanted to be a four or five issue story into the foreseeable future of the character, and was too busy writing Red Hood to actually commit to him himself, leaving Nicieza and Kaplan to fill in the gaps for him. The difference between the book under Lobdell and Jurgens is striking, because Jurgens is actually writing with the intention of there being an ending to this story. Lobdell, on the other hand, is plotting everything with the idea that this will be the character from now on. You're supposed to get invested in this new status quo, but it's built on literally discarding the character's history and introducing these new characters who have no meat on their figurative bones. The Edward siblings are so nothing that I had to go back and rewrite this with the right last name because I straight up forgot it and called them the Collinses the entire time. Jurgens has to steer the sinking ship into port and manages to do so, but because of Year of the Villain and Joker War, the journey back to normal feels like it takes an eternity. By the time he took over the book, it had already been close to a year, and while it was plain to see that he was coming in to stem the tide and wrap it up, things playing out the way they did made it all read like paddling to shore with a frisbee. The Court of Owls stuff is a great new direction for this previously directionless era to go in, but because it's introduced so late, it can't retroactively repair the damage of how boring and frustrating it had been prior to it being introduced. If there's anything to take from this, it's that changing things up for comics characters isn't necessarily a bad thing. The nature of these characters means that they can bend in all these different ways, but there has to be a plan. When you take big swings like this, completely reshaping a character, essentially starting them from zero, you have to think through what that looks like in a long-term sense. It can't just be endless issues of shaved head angst and secondary characters with nothing going for them. There has to be a reason for the readers to come back month over month, and that's where this error failed. It doesn't matter that things eventually got back on track and had a coherent direction. By the time it was, fans were just anxious to get to the fireworks factory. Maybe if there was some kind of hook early, like introducing the Talon plot as a stinger in issue 51 or something, it would have been easier to digest. Instead, we're left with a vaguely bird-shaped scar where a terrible era once was.